Our gospel lesson for today is from Mark chapter 1. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with wild beasts and the angels who waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus then came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place and in all places be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock in the wilderness and our salvation. Amen. Well, in 2015, the History Channel began a new reality TV show called Alone. The premise is fairly straightforward. They take 10 people and they leave them alone in the wilderness in extreme locations around the world. Each contestant can take with them up to 10 items of their choosing. And the last person to give up wins a million dollars. 
But unlike other similar outdoor adventure shows like Survivor, there are no games in this show, no tribes or secret alliances, no being voted off the island. Participants have no human interaction beyond their occasional medical checks, and there is supposedly no camera crew following them around either. They film themselves instead. Participants are, for lack of a better word, alone. Now, prior to each season, producers of the show received several thousand video submissions from people who are so eager for a chance to be on the show. The top 20 contestants who are deemed to have exceptional and diverse skill sets are chosen to attend an intensive boot camp in upstate New York, during which they are objectively evaluated for their survival skills as well as their mental and physical fortitude. And from there, producers choose the final 10. Just so you know, I've never applied to be on this show and I never will. (laughs) But what is really surprising to me is that the people who seem most likely to win are rarely those who actually make it the longest. So for instance, the first season of Alone was set on Vancouver Island, which has an especially large population of black bears and wolves. And two of the contestants were men who spent their lives in some kind of special defense work. One was a police officer, and the other never left his house unarmed. And they were both known by the show to have very gruff exteriors. They weren't afraid of anything. But when they found themselves alone in the wild, they quickly became undone. The police officer tapped out first, terrified of the bears. He made it just 12 hours. The other man only lasted two days because he was tormented by the howling of the wolves. But then there was this guy named Mitch, young guy with long dreadlocks. He grew up as a Boy Scout and enjoyed playing in the woods outside of his parents' house. And on the first night, he huddled in his rain-battered tent, turned on his camera and stared into this bright light. There were bears, he said. He could hear them walking around his tent. But it was no problem. He knew what to do to keep himself safe. And Mitch ultimately lasted 43 days on Vancouver Island. One show review noted that Mitch was better at survival skills than the other contestants who tapped out before him. There was no doubt about that. But that's not why he made it so long in the wilderness, they said. Because it's the mental side of the game that distinguishes the true contenders from the quitters. After all, you can learn to start a fire, to gather plants and berries. You can learn to hunt and even to fish. But you can't make it very long in the wilderness, they said, without a fundamental store of resilience. And you know, if I could put into just a few words what we are going to explore together throughout this season of Lent at Highland, it's just that. 
How do we, like Mitch, find or develop a fundamental store of resilience to help us make it through the long days of the wilderness that we will encounter too? And I say will encounter very deliberately because I believe any of us who are trying to follow Jesus will find ourselves in the wilderness at one point or another. It's a part of the journey. In fact, I would venture to guess that most of us felt like we were already in the wilderness long before this season of Lent began this week. Sure, you may call it by different names. You may call it COVID-19. You may call it weariness, loneliness, isolation, and flat-out exhaustion. You may call it this long-overdue racial reckoning in our country. You may call it the journey of recovery You may call it NTI and parenting from home 24-7 these days. But whatever it is, whatever you call it, I would imagine that every single one of us can name a wilderness we were already experiencing before this season of Lent ever started. And so while today may be the first Sunday of Lent, Today does not mark day one of our wilderness journey, not by any stretch of the imagination. As I shared in a sermon last fall, I believe we are still in the middle of day two. We're still here, friends. And as much as we want to escape it, the middle of any journey is non-negotiable and we can't skip over day two of our stories. It's like that old children's rhyme, we're going on a bear hunt. And when we come up against something in the woods, we realize that try as we might, we can't go over it, we can't go under it, can't go around it. Like Jesus in today's text, we've got to go through it. We've got to go through the wilderness in order to get to anything like resurrection. And perhaps this is the kind of comfort that the season of Lent brings us because it reminds us that whatever wilderness we are going through these days, Jesus meets us here. Jesus was no stranger to the wilderness. In fact, Jesus would have been quite the competitor on alone, wouldn't he? Because he makes it 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, even when he is surrounded by demons and wild beasts. But something sticks out to me about today's text, and that is that the same spirit that descends on Jesus at his baptism and calls him beloved is the spirit who then immediately drives him into the wilderness in the very next verse. And we've got to figure out what in the world we do with that. As Pastor David Luce writes, Perhaps this text reminds us that God will not abandon us during our sojourns in the wilderness, but might even from time to time drive us there for our own benefit. God is, after all, in the business of taking that which seems only to cause death and somehow wringing from it resurrection life. That is not a bad thing for us to remember at the beginning of Lent. 
You see, we tend to talk about the wilderness as if it is this scary place filled with lions and tigers and bears, oh my, like Dorothy the Tin Man and Scarecrow say to one another along the yellow brick road when they enter the forest in the Wizard of Oz. And even most biblical interpretations of the wilderness suggest that it is a place that is hard to survive and that is meant to be conquered and defeated. In fact, Erdman's Bible Dictionary defines the wilderness as a place that is not meant for human habitation. It's known to be the natural habitat of demons instead. That is how they define the wilderness. And it's true that the wilderness is certainly risky. As Barbara Brown Taylor notes, if there isn't any real danger, then you're not in the wilderness You're in a park, she says. However, I would have to pause and ask Erdman's Bible Dictionary, isn't it also true that some of the most extraordinary stories in the Bible take place in the wilderness? I mean, today's story is fairly short, but what about Moses and the burning bush? What about the Israelites crossing the Red Sea? What about the dewy manna that covers the ground every morning in the wilderness or the pillar of fire that guides them by night? What about Elijah hiding in the cave and hearing God in the sound of sheer silence? None of these extraordinary things take place where life is comfortable or safe or familiar. They take place in the wilderness. You know, rather than seeing the wilderness as a place to be feared, womanist theologian Dolores Williams invites us to imagine the wilderness through the lens of Hagar, an enslaved woman who meets God in the wilderness in Genesis 16. In fact, it's right there in the wilderness that Hagar has one of the most intimate encounters with the divine that we see in all of Scripture She is the very first person in the Bible to assign a name to God. And that is El Roy, which means the God who sees me. Williams proposes that Hagar's experience in the wilderness actually becomes symbolic of many African Americans' experience of wilderness. She writes, for African-American slaves, the wilderness did not bear the negative connotations that mainline white pioneer culture assigned to it. They thought an environment supporting solitude and reflection was conducive to gaining a true connection with Jesus and to strengthening the kind of God consciousness needed to support their journeys in life. The wilderness experience was transforming. Going into the wilderness assured enslaved people that like Hagar, they too would meet Jesus if only they persevered. And so I wonder what we might have to learn from this rich tradition of the wilderness. I mean, what if we viewed the wilderness not only as a place to endure but a place to encounter God in ways that we haven't before? What if we view the wilderness not only as a place of struggle, but also as a place of transformation, 
What if the same wilderness that stirs up within us fear and anxiety of the unknown is also what stirs our imaginations to consider things we never thought possible? What if the same wilderness that stretches us beyond our comfort zones is what opens us up to experience the extraordinary? As poet Mary Oliver writes, No one yet has made a list of places where the extraordinary may happen or where it may not. Still, there are indications among crowds, in drawing rooms, among easements and comforts and pleasures, it is seldom seen. It likes the out of doors. It likes the concentrating mind. It likes solitude. It is more likely to stick to the risk taker than the ticket taker. It isn't that it would disparage comforts or the set routines of the world, but that its concern is directed to another place. Its concern is the edge and the making of a form out of the formlessness that is just beyond the edge. And that place, that formlessness beyond the edge of all that is comfortable and safe and familiar and predictable, that place is the wilderness. So do you think you have what it takes to survive for up to a year by yourself in some of the most extreme wilderness conditions in the world? If so, alone is seeking applications for their next bold adventure, and maybe that will be you. Or do you think you have what it takes to open yourself up to the extraordinary that may happen in the wilderness? Because that is where I hope the journey of Lent is taking us this year. I believe that the extraordinary is where the wilderness will always lead us. Perhaps it is just where we will find that the Spirit gives us a storehouse of resilience to make it through whatever is just beyond the edge. To close today, I would like to invite you, wherever you are, whatever you're doing right now, to close your eyes and to picture a wilderness that you are facing these days. What does it look like? What sounds is it making? Who is there with you? What is your posture toward this wilderness? Are you avoiding it, ignoring it, hoping it will go away? Where do you feel it in your body? Are you weary because of it? Are you anxious? Does it make your heart beat faster? Do you feel the weight of it in your shoulders? Do you feel it in your gut? Imagine with me what invitation the Spirit is giving you this morning as you confront whatever wilderness is before you. And hear these words. Come to the edge, he said. 
We can't. We are afraid, they responded. Come to the edge, he said. They said, it's too high, we will fall. Come to the edge. And so they came. He pushed them, and they flew. Amen.